we are in the second week of our series on the Lord's Prayer. And so today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, and we are now going to get into the prayer itself where we talk about who God is as a father. And so the first thing I wanted to do is, well, I wanted to review what we talked about last week, and that was your homework assignment was to ask the question, ask the question, what do I need right now? What do I need right now? And so the, some of the things that I thought about as I was asking that question, because I shared about how um, I want to check the stock market and have these different kind of temptations, a lot of, a lot of the ways I answered that question, what do I need right now, is based on the habits that I have in the past. The things that I thought about in the past, that's what I think I need in the future. The, the behavior that I have in the past, like at night I want to watch a show on Netflix because I usually watch a show on Netflix. So when I think about what I need right now, I think about the past habits and desires and thoughts that I'm in the, um, that I'm accustomed to thinking. And so what I hope as a result of this series and really any kind of Christian preaching and teaching is that this would shape your value system and your thinking to become spiritual, that it would conform with the image of God and that you would, you would have a new way of thinking because that is the purpose of prayer to change how we think about God. Okay, so I hope that's your experience. And today we're going to be talking about God's name. And we're going to talk, and we're going to have kind of just two points. One is what's in a name and who is the Father, right? We're going to talk about those two ideas. What is in a name and who is the Father? And so when I think about the idea of name, I think about one of the most, I think it's one of the most confusing commandments to me. And it is the commandment that says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And the way it was explained to me, or maybe a better way to put it, the way it was practiced is that you do not use God or Jesus as a, as a swear word. And so you may, have people, you may have heard people say, Jesus H. Christ. Jesus H. Christ. And some of you may even feel some discomfort with me saying that, even right now, um, as if Jesus has a middle name. First of all, Jesus does not have a middle name. And that term is often used as a, as a, as a course, curse word. And... Um, and I, I just realized, like, hey, sometimes people, that's, that's what people use to say a, a swear word. Another one that people will use is, oh, my God, oh, my God. And some of you also may experience some discomfort because you already import context for me saying that. I must be saying that because I'm upset at someone. You can import some tone because when people say that, there's a tone that's associated with that. And a previous version of myself during high school Whenever I heard someone say, oh my God, would correct them to, oh my gosh, you should say gosh. Because again, in my religious practice, if you say the name of God incorrectly, you should be corrected because it's a violation of who God is. And so one thing I want to explore today is, is it truly violating the third commandment to make the wrong noise about God or to use the noise of his name in a way that's not pleasing to him? And I would say it's, it probably is wrong, but I think there are some deeper things that we want to explore behind what a name is. That's more than saying the correct noise or making the correct noise, but not doing it in the right way. And so that's what I want to look at today. And so let's just start with the verse that we're going through, and that's the first line of the Lord's Prayer. The first line of the Lord's Prayer, and that's Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And it's actually B. It's actually the second part of verse 9. So let me read that. <clears throat> and it says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And so what you call God, how you address him, the picture you have in your mind, it matters when it comes to God. And I showed a clip from Talladega Nights last night, and my wife was a little bit embarrassed about it, but I showed this clip from Talladega Nights with the character um, Ricky Bobby saying grace, saying a prayer before the meal. And he talks about little baby Jesus with his balled up hands. He talks about Leonard Skinner. Um, his friend talks about Leonard Skinner with eagle's wings. And then his sons talk about Jesus as a ninja or a samurai. And so the way you see God is actually really important in terms of how you pray. And so the term God as father is actually new, relatively new for the, old, for the New Testament, in the New Testament, because the Sermon on the Mount was intended for Jews who knew the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law was a promise that God gave to Moses in the formation of the nation of Israel. And so God gives these number of these 10 commandments in the book of Exodus to Moses that he offers for the nation of Israel to become a nation. And we know that in the Sermon on the Mount that it's about the 10 commandments because in chapter 5 it says in verse 21 for instance, oh Even starting in verse 17, it says Jesus' mission. He says, I have not come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. And then just a few verses later, in verse 21, he says, you have heard it said, do not murder. Who says do not murder? Moses says do not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And then in 527, it says, you shall not commit adultery. What's that from? Also another commandment. And each case where Jesus cites a commandment of Moses He goes deeper than just the prohibition of the behavior. He goes deeper into the actual thoughts of a person when it comes to adultery, when it comes to murder. He talks about the innermost thoughts of a person, what what I call the heart. He talks about the heart of a person. And so when you get to Matthew 6, 9b, where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, addressing God as Father, you have to be thinking about the Ten Commandments as well, and in particular, the first three commandments. So let's go there. Let's look at the first three commandments. Um, Exodus chapter 20, I'll have them up on the screen. Exodus chapter 20, and I'm going to read Exodus 20, verses 1 through 7. And they go like this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the, iniquities of the, the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then here's that third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so that's what we have in Exodus. And now what we need to do is give a little context for this, right? What's happening right now for the nation of Israel, for the nation of the Jews? What's happening right now is they are in a journey of freedom. They have been enslaved in Egypt. And at the very beginning in verse 1 and 2, you can go back there. Verse 1 and 2, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
So the first thing you have to understand is they are coming, this nation is coming into freedom out of slavery. And freedom always has two components, and sometimes we take these two components for granted. The first component is this. It is freedom from. Okay, it's freedom from. You go away from something. And it's clear what the freedom from is. It's freedom away from slavery. But it's not only freedom from. It is also freedom to. It is also freedom to. And the freedom they get, the freedom that the Israelites receive, is now they have the opportunity to worship God fully and become a new people. They become their own people that will be a light to the rest of the nations. And that is the freedom that God is offering to them. And so when God says, hey, you shall have no other gods before me, in verse 3, this is meant not only to be, this is meant to be, this is the freedom that they receive, and this is also in the context of when they were in Egypt, there were other competing gods, okay? There were other gods in Egypt. And what God of, the God of Israel is saying is, I am superior to those gods, I am better than those gods, and there is no other god. You, do not, you, you should not worship any other god. And so we have language to describe this kind of distinction today. Okay, we have some language to describe it. And the language we use to describe it, sometimes we might say, you know, describe, usually describe it like an athlete, that that guy is built different. Okay, when we say built different, we mean superior in some way, shape, or form of that person. Or we say, he's him. Okay, that's what the kids say. They say, he's him. Or they say, he's goaded, right? He's goaded, the greatest of all time. Right, that's what they mean. And they're all, they're all terms of, some of you guys are like, I've never heard these terms before. Well, if you're, if you're in basketball world, sports world, you will, you will hear these terms. Um, and what that means is that person is distinct from all other people. And it's often used to describe some of the best players in the game. And so what God is saying here is, I'm the best player in the game. I'm the only player in the game. I'm the only one that you should worship. There are no other competitors to me. You shall have no other gods before me. And he also explains what his name means. Because a name is not just a noise. You know, I was talking to um, someone recently about a phoneme. It's not just a noise you make. A name actually conveys something. It's a token that means something. And a name means a person's character works, and reputation, okay? It's a container that means someone's character, works, and reputation. So if I say Taylor Swift, if I say Taylor Swift, that name means something. There's a character and works and reputation, like billions of dollars, that goes with that name, okay? It goes with that name. She is the goat. Thank you, all right? <laughs> she is different. She's built different. Okay, and so what, what uh, and the name, the way God describes his character, works, and reputation in verse 2 is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He is a God of freedom. That's who he is. And so when you take his name in vain, you are violating the character, works, and reputation of God. It's more than making the incorrect noise, and it's more than making... Um, you know, saying his name and using it in an improper way. It's, are you representing the character and rep, character works and reputation of the goaded one, you know, of, of the Lord God? Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I know some of you are holding your head. Then this is meant to be in direct contrast with Egypt and the gods of Egypt. Okay, so what's the point then? I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain. Well, the God of Israel is saying, don't get me twisted. Okay, do not mistake me for anyone else. There is no other God like me. I am the God who gives you 
freedom. And that is what my name means. And you are meant to have an exclusive relationship with me. That's why it says, you, um, I am a jealous God, because he wants no other competitors. And that is the context by which we come into uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. And so let me read that again. And now we want to talk about this idea of who is the Father. Who is the Father? Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus calls the Lord God Father. And this would have made the Jews very angry, extremely upset. And I don't think most of us realize, many of us realize how offensive that would have been to the Jews because they would never call God directly Father. They would never address Father. Now, we talked about ways you can, in your um, pre-sermon sharing time, this discussion time, you talked about ways to address someone's father, right? And in Japanese, there's 10 ways to talk about father. There's what you call your own dad. You can call your dad daddy, but you don't call someone else's dad daddy, right? You don't, call, you don't do that. You, that's why that's, those are the situations where you might say mister, right? Especially if you're under 18, I do, I do personally advocate you calling someone else's dad mister. And then once you become an adult, you can gradually make the transition, depending on the culture, to calling them by their first name. But you have to ask, you probably should ask permission. But there's an, there's an honorific, there's a power dynamic that goes with addressing a father, right? And if there's a power dynamic that goes with addressing a father, then how much more so the Most High King, the God of the universe? And so the way the Jews understood not taking the Lord's name in vain, which is Yahweh, is don't say it. You do not say his name. You do not say God's name. That's the way to ensure that you do not take the Lord's name in vain if you never say it. And so Jesus is doing something radical here, and he is calling God our Father. And it goes against the deeply held beliefs of the Jews. It is heretical to them to call God Father in this way. And yet, this is not the first time that Jesus uses this term. He calls God Father earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, earlier in chapter 6. Jesus knows all of God's names. Yahweh, Adonai, he knows all of God's names, and yet he chooses the term Father. What does that mean? First of all, we know, based on chapter 5, that Jesus is not there to abolish the law. He's not there to destroy the law, the Mosaic commandments in any way. And so when the Jews call God Lord and Yahweh, he's not denying that. He's not saying those things are untrue. God is still the one who rescues you out of slavery and into freedom. That is who God is. And he is holy, and he is sovereign, and he is righteous, and he is powerful, and yet he is also your father. He's also your father. He's the one who wants to hear from you. He is your source of life. That is who he is. And Jesus intentionally chooses an earthly term because he wants the Jews to know that you can have access to this Father. You can get to him. And this is where the Catholics get it right. They call this prayer our Father. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But the Catholics call it our Father because that's the first two words is our Father. That's what this prayer is about, our Father. And we often, as Protestants, ignore the other two members of the Trinity. It's all about Jesus. But this prayer is to God the Father, and that's who we pray to. It's not wrong to pray to Jesus. It's not wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. They're going to talk. They'll just tell God the Father. So you might as well just go directly to God the Father. Okay, Might as, go, might as well go directly to him because they're going to tell him anyway. 
right? So address, when you pray, address your prayer to God the Father, because that's who Jesus is praying to, and that's your source of life. That is the Lord. That is the sovereign God of the universe and the one who wants to have a relationship with you. And so, the image we have of our earthly father is going to influence how we see God. And that is the big risk that Jesus is taking. He recognizes that if he says, our father, you know what's going to happen? You're going to import your understanding of a father into the way you see God. And for some of you, that doesn't make sense, but let me, let me give you an example. One of my early memories after a basketball game is my dad told me, you played like a chicken with its head cut off. Okay, I think I've said this, I may have said this before. You play like a chicken with its head cut off. And from that point forward, um, I, I actually have never seen a chicken with its head cut off, but when I imagine that happening, I go, it's not a positive image, right? It's not, it's not an image of competence. And so when I became a Christian a couple years later, I experienced God as a fault-finding critic, someone who would label and give me images about how I wasn't performing up to a certain standard. And I still carry echoes of that today. And I've shared other stories about that. But the way that you experience your earthly father will absolutely influence how you experience your heavenly one. And so maybe in your childhood, you experienced a lot of anger about being emotionally abandoned. It's no surprise then you would feel the same way about God. Or maybe in your childhood, you experienced parents who are critical and demanding and that like you couldn't do anything right, and you feel the same way about God today. No surprise. Or maybe in your childhood, your parents were loving and kind but lacked affection and emotional vocabulary, so you never really felt close to them or seen by them or understood by them, and you have trouble feeling seen by God today. No surprise. Jesus absolutely understands that. There's a risk in calling God our Father because you're going to import an earthly term. But, and this is the beauty of therapy in modern psychology today because you will absolutely be, res- absolutely the intent of modern psychology is to rescue you out of your family of origin. And that's why you explore in therapy your childhood your relationship with your parents and how you think about them. And I think that's important. That's an important kind of work. But here is the tragedy of those forms of therapy and how people experience them. Because the solution to escaping your parents, it either leaves you orphaned or what's worse, you are expected to become your own parent and re-raise yourself. You gotta re-parent yourself, right? If your parents screwed you up and you've experienced trauma, then who is going to do the work of reparenting you? You are. And that's where you get words like, speak your truth, be true to yourself, you are what you believe yourself to be, only you can change your life, no one can do it for you. And I think that's crazy. I think that's crazy. And the way, the way the, maybe the best way I can describe it is think of it this way. In 2016, I had an Achilles rupture, and I had an Achilles repair surgery to repair it. And while I was getting, while they were prepping me for the, uh, the procedure, the doctor came in, the surgeon came in, and he came up to me and said, hey, I just want to check with you. Which ankle did you rupture? And I just looked at him like, you're just figuring this out now? And I didn't realize this is part of their checklist. This is part of their checklist, right? And so he took a little marker, and then I said it was my right one, and he marked the right one, right? Um, and, then, and then, but I had this thought in my head like, if they have to ask that question, 
what does that mean? There must have been past procedures where they operated on the wrong person's leg, which is just crazy to me, right? And so, but let's say that actually happened. Let's say you see the surgeon, let's say, we'll call him Dr. Brown. You see Dr. Brown and he operates on the left ankle. And you come out and you're like, hey, well, um, the good news is now you have a, a better left ankle than, than your right. Okay, and then you think, well, I'm not going to go back to Dr. Brown. I will not go back to that surgeon unless you find another surgeon. And this surgeon's name is Dr. Hazel. Okay, and Dr. Hazel trained and was mentored under Dr. Brown. Okay, it worked under Dr. Brown. And then you think, but, you know, this, this surgeon's definitely, Dr. Hazel's definitely better. You go to Dr. Hazel, she performs the surgery, you come back out, and she starts with, well, the good news is we got the right ankle. Okay? No, no. You would never go to Dr. Hazel because you would never trust someone who's going to do a life-threatening surgery on you who has anything to do with the previous doctor. And yet that's what happens with us when we want to heal from our, our, the trauma that we experienced from our parents, we're going to trust ourselves to reparent ourselves. That is the world's answer. And the beauty of the gospel is that the, the gospel doesn't trust you. <laughs> okay? The gospel doesn't actually trust you to be the surgeon. It doesn't actually trust anyone. The beauty of the gospel is that it has a solution that's outside of ourselves and says, you know what? You need someone who is distinct from every other earthly surgeon, every other earthly family on this planet. That's what you need. That is the solution. You need a heavenly father who can raise you. And so let me go to Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so what this Prayer. This is the prayer, by the way. This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul. What he's saying is he's addressing God the Father, and he's saying, you know what, I'm gonna, and I'm going to kneel before this Father. And every earthly father, both in heaven and on earth, gets its character, works, and reputation from God the Father. So anything good that you see in a father, in an earthly father, it comes from who God is as a father. He is the template for all fatherhood. And we do the opposite. We take our earthly father and make that the template for who God is. But what Paul is saying, no, that's not how it works. Start with the template first, and that is God as father. And let that map onto your understanding of every other earthly one. And so some of you might be thinking, well, that applies to people who had messed up parents, but I don't have messed up parents. In fact, I think most of you have great parents. And, and the temptation, even with great parents, even with my own parents, is I experience them as a standard to live up to. Okay, I experience my own parents as a standard to live, to, to live up to. For instance, my dad loves to tell the story of being um, a poor kid in Hong Kong and then coming to this country. Even, he was orphaned at a young age. He was bullied. He was poor. He has the, you know, the stories of walking uphill both ways and then trying to make it in this country as an immigrant, there is no way I can replicate his story of becoming an immigrant. I cannot replicate that migration experience. I cannot live up to that. And so even if you have great parents and you didn't experience trauma, you may experience them as a standard to live up to. And yet this, and that God the Father, your ultimate intended Father, this radical thing that's happening here 
What God is saying is he wants to be your father, and you don't have to do anything to earn that. Because the work was done by Jesus. So something radical is happening in the Lord's Prayer. When God first gave the Ten Commandments and said, no other gods before me, don't have a graven image, the Jews responded with fear. They were afraid. And they failed even before receiving the law because they made a golden calf, which is a graven image, while Moses was gone. And they were so afraid of God that they didn't even want to approach Mount Sinai. And even after Moses talked to God and his face was shining, they were afraid of Moses. They didn't even want to talk to Moses. And so Moses had to cover his face. And now you have Jesus who tore the veil in the Holy of Holies to demonstrate that God indeed is holy and set apart, and he is Lord, and yet he is also Father in whom you can have access to. And through his life and his death and his resurrection, what he accomplished in his works is the ability for each of us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. You can be a son and daughter of the Most High King by trusting and wanting his love. That's all it takes. And that's what Jesus starts with, that this is our Father. And in the previous iteration, the Jews didn't want to say his name. God the Father wants you to say his name. He wants you to say his name. He wants you to say what his name means, to declare his character, his works, and reputation. Now, this whole thing is progressive. That means it starts with getting the Father straight. Don't get him twisted. Recognize he is different from every other earthly family. On the earth, not just your own family, but every family. He says, Don't get it twisted. He is better, stronger, more powerful, and unconditionally loving. And really, evangelism is simply just telling people about our Father. It's our Father. And so, before you get to your felt needs, and I know people are excited about let's talk about daily needs, let's talk about all those different things that come later in the prayer, don't get it twisted. Get your father straight, because that is, that is the foundational idea. And the way I would think about it is this. Often, oftentimes, we clean up these chairs, and we have to create a stack of them. And what I've noticed is if you don't stack the second chair correctly, the entire stack gets so screwed up. It's just like leaning all over the place and falls over. It's dangerous. If you don't get the second chair stacked, if you don't get that first chair stacked correctly, and that's even doubly true um, for those really cheap plastic chairs that we have in the back, okay? You have to get the first chair stacked correctly. And so when you are praying this prayer, the first thing you need to do is make sure you get the foundational idea of who God is as Father. Get that straight, because everything else comes out of that. And so when I talk to people who have, um, they have problems with who God is, and God's not giving them what, what they want, and I'm like, man, we need to, we need to go back to the, to the first chair to the foundational idea of who God is as your father, that he is different from every other father that you've experienced. And I want that for you today. And so here's the, I've been, I've been telling you, I want this to be very practical. I want this series to be very practical. And so I'm going to give you one sentence that you can pray. You can pray this one sentence, and it goes like this. I am not a slave to any earthly family. I'm not a slave to any earthly family. I am, free, I am free to belong to you, my true Father. I am not a slave to any earthly family. I am free to belong to you, my true Father. So you're not a slave to anyone's opinions. You're not a slave to what you have experienced. You're not a slave to any kind of standard of, other, of any earthly family. You are free to belong to the one you have been intended for, God the Father. And so maybe in closing, 
I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have two, we're gonna have two questions. We're gonna go back to a sharing time in our groups today. I'm gonna go back to those groups. And I'm, I'm gonna have two questions. And the first question is this. I think, I, I think I'll, yeah, thank you, Don. The first question is this. How is your heavenly father distinct from every other earthly father? And notice I said every other earthly father. This is not the time to uh, bash your own parents, especially if they're sitting here. This is not the time to bash your own parents, okay? This is just the time to be like, hey, you know what? The, the, you have now freedom too. You have freedom too, this better father. You can answer that question. And then the second one is this. And this one might be tougher for you. What's an image that conveys the character and works and reputation of your heavenly father? And this one is risky because it involves your imagination. It involves your imagination. Most of you, the way you've grown up in church is imagination is just something you don't have lustful thoughts with, right? That's the purpose of imagination, which is basically nothing. You don't use it, okay? But what I'm telling you is God has given you an imagination to see and perceive and understand him because the Bible is full of images to stoke our imagination, and those images are meant for the community and peoples of that time. Right? That's why he uses things like, a we just sing about a, a shepherd's staff. Most of you have not been shepherds, but back then there were actually shepherds. And so God gives us images today, even today, of what it's like to experience the Heavenly Father. And I recognize it's risky to do so, but that's what Jesus did when he said our Father. Okay? Because the risk is, you're going to think about Leonard Skinner and you know, t-shirts, like tuxedo t-shirts, and uh, little baby Jesus. That's the risk. But understand this, understand this, and let me take a second. Understand this. When you become a dad, your greatest desire is for your kids to understand you, but your kids will continually misunderstand you, okay? That's the, that's the sacrifice of being a parent, okay? Your kids will not understand you, but what, what gives you great joy is that they just try. They try. And God the Father, you know what? I think he's okay if we just try our best to understand him. Okay? If we just try to have some picture, hold some picture in our head of what he is like, he wants us to live out of that image. And so the image for me is from Lion King. It's Lion King. And it's Mufasa, who's the you know, king of all the lions and of all the kingdom of Pride Rock and the Pride Lands. And Mufasa plays, there's this one scene because he's strong and powerful, but there's one scene where Mufasa plays with Simba. And it's this image of this super powerful being and yet he exercises gentleness and restraint with his son and playfulness. And I think, wow, you know what? I wonder if God the Father, who is holy and sovereign and righteous and powerful, and yet calls himself Father, is like that. May you live out of images like that today. May you pray out of images like that. Let's pray together. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Set apart are your character, works, and reputation. And so, Lord, today, would you help us, would you work in us to see you as distinct, as different from every other father, from every other family in both heaven and on earth? Lord, would we stand in awe of your character, works, and reputation, not least of which was the sending of your Son to live on our behalf to die on our behalf, and to be raised again. Thank you that because of what he accomplished, we can be adopted as your sons and daughters. And so, Lord, would you give us images to live out of, to recognize you as our ultimate and intended Father. And may we pray 
accordingly, that we would have that understanding and relationship and receive what we need most, and that's quality time with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.